But once I realized that this wasn't going anywhere, I then tried to sell the software that we had invested a lot of money into to somebody who could pick this up and run with it. And I did that unsuccessfully. Well, it almost killed it. And so I was able to, to log in and get all my important files off except my Bitcoin. So I ended up, you know, trashing the computer. So there's a computer somewhere in a dumpster in a dump somewhere with 55 Bitcoin on it. And in January of 2018, that was worth $1.1 million. That is in a dumpster somewhere. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete proven step-by-step -step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guests, Joel Kahn and Travis Wright. Joel and Travis, are you ready to rock? Hello, Andrew. Can we call you Andy? You can call me whatever. Are you, you feeling Randy, Andy? <laughs> Andy works. You'd be, a lot of my friends where I grew up in a little town called Hudson, Ohio, they all call me Andy, but mom and dad and everybody else now calls me Andrew. So call me Andy. With, with a middle name, right? Andrew David Charles. Stotts or whatever you're. Well, that was my dad's name, David, but my middle name was Charles, my grandfather's name. Mm, what is it now? It's still Charles probably, right? It still is. <laughs> yeah. You said it was. It was Charles, but uh, now it's okay. Xavier. That's yeah. change it to no, it's, <laughs> Rocket it's, Man. It's Columbus. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. a little. That's a little inside joke from your podcast, Bad Crypto Podcast. Well, let me fill the audience in on the two of you guys. So Joel Com is a New York Times best-selling author, blockchain enthusiast, a professional keynote speaker social media marketing strategist, live video expert, technologist, brand influencer, futurist, and eternal 12-year-old. With over two decades of experience harnessing the power of the web, publishing, social media, and mobile applications to expand reach and engage in active relationship marketing. What you're experiencing right now, folks, Joel is a sought-after public speaker who leaves his audiences inspired entertained and armed with strategic tools to create highly effective new media campaigns. We need you in Asia, Joel. Now, Travis. I've been to parts. Yeah. Well, we need I'd like you. to come back though. I've never been to your neck of the woods. I think we can do it. I think do they have do woods it. in Thailand? No, it's a jungle. Neck of the jungle. <laughs> it's more of a jungle. Welcome, or a swamp. Welcome to the jungle. Now, let's talk about Travis. Hey, Travis. Hello. There's Andrew. Travis. Andrew. Yes. Andrew Charles. <laughs> Are you mad at him, Travis? Andrew <laughs> Charles. <laughs> Get in here. Dinner's ready. Exactly. Travis Wright is a top marketing technologist, author, keynote speaker, blockchain advisor, tech journalist, and podcast host. He is the former global digital and social strategist at Semantic for the Norton brand. Wright is the co-founder and CMO of CCP.Digital, a Kansas City and San Francisco-based digital ad and content agency. Wright is the author of The Wiley & Sons Digital Sense, The Common Sense Approach to Social Business Strategy, Marketing Technologies, 
Customer Experience and Emerging Technologies, which was published in January 2017. And these two gentlemen are the hosts of the podcast for the Crypto Curious and Crypto Serious. Ladies and gentlemen, join them often at thebadcryptopodcast.com. Now, Joel, Travis, fill us in a little tidbits about your life. We're going to offer crypto churros, I think, Travis, in the future. Bad crypto churros. The show for the crypto churrias. Mm. Mexican okay. food. You know what? The bio that you read very well, I might add, a little bit like William Shatner even, you know, kind of gives the overview. I've been playing with different technologies ever since I learned that technology was a thing. Had my first computer when I was 16 years old in 1980 and was dialing into the online world BBSs at 300 baud per second. And so I've been dialing into the online world now for going on 40 years, which makes me really, really old and I've earned my gray hairs. I enjoy playing a lot of different sandboxes and checking out the cool tech. And when something gets my attention, I play with that technology longer. And invariably, I end up doing something with it. And people ask me, how did you do that? And so I've really come into a position of teaching people about building websites, making money online, and creating successful apps and, and all this kind of stuff. And now, you know, since Travis and I started the show back in the summer of 2017, uh, crypto, Bitcoin, blockchain has been my latest obsession. And let me ask you, what's on the wall behind you there? Those would be pictures. And what is that? The fun? What's that? What's oh, well, that? that? It looks like that a is, book. That is the uh, a print cover of my 15th book, which is called The Fun Formula. And that's why it's a fun cover. You know, it's got a lot of colors on it. And, and what I did is I reverse engineered my career as an entrepreneur. And I recognized from my own experience that the whole hustle and grind thing is a lie. I just, I really despise this notion that if you want to succeed in life, you got to get up before everybody else, stay later than everyone else while your friends are, you know, enjoying a game over the weekend or out on the boat, you're working because you're hustling and you're grinding. What I discovered is that type of mentality actually was harmful to me. My greatest successes in my career have always come with the least amount of effort. It's all about relationships. It's all about following your passion and taking risks and having that right email at the right time or showing up for that event, even though you're not sure why you're there. I believe that life just has a way of working out when we're most true to ourselves and authentic. And the fun formula is the antidote to the hustle and grind. I, I wanted it to be liberating for people to realize that they can have success without sacrificing their health and their relationships. And not only is this a pathway to a more successful business and career, but also to a more fulfilled life. Amen. Well, for the listeners out there, a lot of my friends and listeners you know, who are out there, they, they are in this grind and they think that success comes from grinding it out. And what I always say is go for what you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've learned that lesson over the years. And I, I think there's one person that it works out for, Andrew, and that's Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, I wouldn't, I think he's living his fun formula, you know, and how it works out in the long run remains to be seen. I hope he is able to purchase the New York Jets one day, like, like he's wanted to. But the problem is a lot of people want to be him. 
and that's, you know, you shouldn't try to be anybody else. You need to figure out what you're all about, where you, you know, have the greatest passion and where you can bring the most value. And I think that's that equation right there is going to be where you find the greatest success. And always as we age, we realize, I was just talking to a friend yesterday and he said he was out with a friend of his and the night before they were just having dinner, having a good time. And the next morning, the guy died. He had had a heart attack in the middle of the night. And it's just a great reminder that if you're not having fun in your life, my God, go out and start today. Now. Carpe diem. And, and boy, that's a happy note right there. Um, yeah. Thanks for that. So <laughs> Travis, take us to the moon. Tell us a little bit about you. And somebody died, Travis. Toy, your <laughs> turn. Yeah. And my cat died over the weekend. And then I just, there's a car wreck just happened out. This is the great, this is a very positive podcast you got over here. This is the worst, the worst podcast. Oh, <laughs> That's the worst investment. Oh, the worst investment podcast. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Great stuff. Uh, you know what? So, you know, I, I kind of go by the philosophy of, you know, it's not necessarily the hustle and grind, but I love stacking skills. I love learning new things. And so throughout my whole career has all been about, you know, learning these new things, learning new strategies. The internet came along and I, I saw it really early and I was like, okay, this is really interesting. Look at this. I, so I figured out search engine results before Google was a thing. I, I was manipulating websites so they would pop up on Excite and Lycos and the Alta Vista and, you know, playing around before Google was a thing, right? And then, you know, Overture and the paid search and mobile and, you know, social media. I did my first ad campaign on Friendster, right, uh, in social media. So I just playing around, testing this stuff out. So I'm kind of like Joel in the way where I see things before most people do. And then I start playing around and testing and, and seeing where things are going. And, and now, you know, as a result of writing Digital Sense and talking about these emerging technologies, that's kind of what led us to blockchain, right? Because to me, it was like, wow, blockchain is sort of reinventing finance. It's going to change money. And, and when you're talking about money, and you, once you realize that fiat currency is a thing, that means they can print money out of thin air. Once I realized that in the year 2020, year 20, actually 2000, I know I think it was July of 1999 is when I realized that that currency, they could just print it out. It was not backed by gold and there was nothing behind it other than they can just print it and it's backed by the full faith of the US government and military and whatever. And I was like, what? They can just print out a $100 bill for six cents? And how are we, how are we in debt? How does this work? This doesn't make sense to me. And I will tell you that has been a source of many bad investments for me because with me not having faith in the dollar, I've not had faith in the stock market. Right, because I'm like, oh, this is just a house of cards that's gonna crash eventually. It's a big bubble, right? And I've seen multiple bubbles that's popped so far. And so I've kind of always stayed out of the stock market. And then when, when blockchain came around and I started understanding what it means and why Bitcoin is a mathematical equation that sort of eliminates governmental manipulation of dollars and of wealth, I was like, wow this is great. This is the first time maybe in history that we could maybe take power away from the state and give it back to the people. And so I've missed out on a lot of investments when it comes to the stock market, but I have bought lots of, you know, gold and silver, but I, during the time that I was doing that, I should have bought Bitcoin, mm. right? Just because the price of gold and silver was up really high. And then I bought it and it went down, but that's not my worst investment. We'll get to that as we, we go along here. But this is that is really the core of what kind of brought Joel and I together to do the Bad Crypto Podcast is fiat currency is a term that most people don't even know. They've never even heard that term. 
And so when you realize what it means, you start going, wait a second. So our economy is kind of a paper tiger and wait, mm -hmm. wait a second. So, you know, that's one of the things that sort of led me down the path and that's where we are today. Well, when you learn about fiat currency, you understand the importance of why the U.S. military continues to be so strong because ultimately there's going to come a time where they're going to have to fight to defend something that there's not a lot backing, unfortunately. So, mm -hmm. And it is the world reserve currency. And what that means for folks who don't know is most countries have to buy dollars before they can buy oil to import. Right. And so that's why now historically over time, a reserve currency has lasted anywhere between 80 to 120 years before us. It was the English pound. Before that, it was like the Spanish, you know, real before that it was the Portuguese something before that it was the Danish something. So over the last like 500 years, there's been about five reserve currencies and the dollar is running near the end of its life cycle. And so for some, that's very scary. And for those who understand it and realize there's opportunity with that. I think we should bring back Danishes and currency again, though, because I, you know, I like the chocolate ones. That would be great. <laughs> the cream-filled ones are much better. And know, those, those are very valuable. Danish me, baby. Danish. Well, it's a topic that we could go on and on about. And I, I, the last thing I would say is that one of the things that's happened with the currency is that by the U.S. using the power of its its control of the world currency and the world, you know, the reserve currency of the world. They've used that power really aggressively over the last decade to shut out companies and individuals and countries from the U.S. dollar trade. And the more that they use that against countries and individuals and companies, the more they're pushing countries like China and Russia into the need to create a new currency block. And I've watched that from over here in Asia happening. And that pressure is pretty extreme. And I would argue that it's being used to an extreme by the U.S. And the result is, is that eventually the solutions for countries that don't want to follow necessarily the U.S. government's policies is that they've got to come up with alternative means of trading. And so the idea of, for instance, the U.S. dollar not being required to buy oil in the future or you know, other means of trading are you know, in the process. And of course, the crypto world is a perfect place for development of that. So my goodness, we could go on. And I really highly recommend the listeners get on to the podcast because Bad Crypto Podcast is definitely talking about all of this stuff and in mm -hmm. a fun way. And yeah, we set up a, we set up a playlist just for the basics and for the beginners, for people who don't really know anything, where to start. And we created a short URL, which spells bad coin, B A D C O dot I N, which is the URL forward slash basics. And if you take that link right there that Joel just posted, Got it. that gives you 10 episodes that really lay the foundation of what it is that's going on. And then you'll be addicted or you'll yeah. hate us one or the other. I'm not sure which. Awesome. Bad co.in slash basics. And I will put that in the show notes listeners so that you can Perfect. follow up on that. Excellent. You have to like bad dad jokes. You have to have a sense of humor. Wait a minute. Aren't you the God of bad dad jokes? I am the bad. God of bad dad jokes. I am Satoshis. Satoshis. <laughs> All right. Well now, gentlemen, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Okay. Are we flipping to see who goes first? Well, 
I'm going to start with Joel. I started, you know, I started this podcast with Travis Wright in July 2017. And man, what a bust that's been. What a horrible time. What a waste of investment of my time. Four episodes a week. Oh, my God. You know, I, I must confess, I haven't heard the show. But my assumption was that when people talk about bad investments, they talk about, you know, investing in a stock or, or you know, buying Bitcoin at the wrong time or something. And, and for me, my bad investment was in a particular business model that I got involved in, in I want to say 2009, I had staffed up my team to about 38 people and we were in Northern Colorado. We had a number of successful projects and, and the money was flowing and I had a bad hire. Basically, I hired a guy who I gave too much freedom to do what he thought was best for the company. And I kind of unplugged from some of the decisions I should have been more involved in. So I take responsibility for it. But we came up with one of the first pieces of technology that would bring mobile marketing to, to bring marketing, email marketing type delivery to mobile. So, you know, if you think of Constant Contact and Aweber and those where you can send bulk emails to people that have subscribed to your list, we came up with technology that would allow you to do that to mobile phones. And I put a lot into it. I mean, we spent, you know, somewhere in the low six figures of my own money to build this thing out. And we were kind of one of the first ones to the market with it. And we, we showed up at trade shows to demonstrate it and people really didn't respond and tried to raise venture capital to grow it and didn't see the response that we wanted to see. And meanwhile, every month I'm pouring more money into it because once you set up short codes with the mobile services, you have to pay monthly to maintain them. Otherwise you lose them. And the way we built the system, if we, if we lost these particular short codes in this relationship with the telcos, the whole thing would fall apart and be worthless overnight. And when we couldn't raise capital, I began uh, looking for partnerships and I wasn't able to secure a partnership. And meanwhile, I'm distracted by some other things that were nearer and dearer to my heart. This seemed like an opportunity and a cool idea. And this will be part of what, you know, I end up learning from it. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But once I realized that this wasn't going anywhere, I then tried to sell the software that we had invested a lot of money into to somebody who could pick this up and, and run with it. And I did that unsuccessfully. And here I am, you know, deep, deep, deep into this, not just financially, but labor, emotionally. And this thing is an albatross. It's just hanging on me and, and crushing me. And one day, I think it was in 2012, maybe 13, you know, I saw the bill for what do it cost to keep this thing running? And I was faced with the challenge of what do I do? Do I keep paying for this, hoping I can salvage it and get something out of it and turn it around? Or do I pull the plug and flush the whole thing down the drain? Well, I pulled the plug and I thought that I would feel these waves of crushing defeat when I did because the project failed, failed miserably, and it cost me a lot to have that failure. But I experienced something different from that Andrew, that I didn't expect. And that was when I pulled the plug on it, I felt this release. I felt like the burden was just instantly lifted. 
and I learned a really, a lot of valuable lessons, but the one I think that is most poignant is that I feel like I stopped failing the moment I stopped paying for it. Freed me up, liberated me to put my focus and my attention and my energy on things that I was far more passionate about. It allowed me to put it in the past. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles people have is letting go. You know, it's a simple analogy, but when we're holding on to something, our, our fist is clenched. And when we release it, we're not holding it anymore and open hands can receive something new. And that's, you know, that's what happened. I went through a season of life where I had to let go of a lot of things. I think that this failed business investment was just a metaphor for some other garbage that was going on personally, you know, in my own life that I needed to grow through. And it's probably why it was my worst investment that probably turned into one of my best ones personally. Fantastic. So what lessons did you learn from that? Well, first of all, if you're not all in, if you're not really passionate about something, then why are you doing it? Don't do stuff just for the money. I think I was looking at the potential balance sheet for this project. You know, I had a lot of employees and therefore lots of responsibilities to a lot of people. And I was looking at you know, what can we do with this technology and make a bunch of money? And I think that was the last time I did that with the business. I wasn't keen on doing that a whole lot previously. And I've really not done that since. In fact, I turn away opportunities that could be very lucrative financially because I'm just not interested in what I would have to do in order to succeed with them. You know, I've realized that life is just so much more than how much money we make. Mm. People in our lives and the experiences we have and we share are paramount. And so I used to make a lot of money. I don't anymore. I live a, uh, you know, reasonably modest lifestyle, but I live the life that I want to live, which means, you know, plenty of travel and, and doing things with my friends and not being up at the crack of dawn to do things I don't want to do. It's not worth it. Mm, yep. And uh, maybe I'll just say a couple of things that I take away from your story. I mean, the one is the sunk cost fallacy in the sense that once we've invested a lot of money in it, we can be really emotionally invested in it. But just because we invested money and in it doesn't mean that it was the right thing and that we should hold on to it. I like the other thing you said, which is the idea of you can instantly stop failing. You know, like, Wow. Because the yeah, I mean, I mean, just the like the movie Frozen says, "Let it go." Let it go. <laughs> oh, oh, the depth of the uh, the philosophy, but it's true. We hold on to way too much, and you know, I experience. I'll be really brief here, but just as a follow up, I moved from a house to an apartment about a year and a half ago, and I realized through a series of moves that I had been carrying a lot of personal items with me, collections and memorabilia and moving into this apartment, I took about 90% of what I had and I put it in storage unit and I told this friend of mine, you know, who wanted to sell it, sell it. And so the older we get, the less we value things. Yeah. At least I believe that's what, how it should be. We should, as we get older, become wiser and value material possessions less and less. I can't say that everybody feels the same way or at least lives the same way, but for me, it's been a path to a lot more freedom and happiness. 
So to wrap up your story, I'm going to ask you this question, which I want you to imagine a listener out there who is literally in the exact same situation. They have been investing out of their own pocket in something that, you know, generally they think has opportunity, but it's just failing at every point. Mm-hmm. And they're just not really sure what to do. So based upon what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn in your life, what one action would you recommend our listeners take or that listener take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well, I would never tell anybody to stop what they're doing because I think there are instances where you've got something that's so important that the obstacles are huge and and maybe it is your life's mission to push through and get that. But I would at least ask people to consider, have you regarded the other opportunities that might already exist around you? In other words, are you laser focused on this just because you need it to work so that you can make a living? Or is it, I really want this to work because I want it to succeed, right? If it's your life's work, maybe push through a little bit more. But if it's, if you have other options, realize that when you live tunnel vision and all you're looking at is what's in front of you and that door seems to be bolted shut, no matter what you do, you can't get it open. Open your peripheral vision and realize that we live in the most amazing time on this planet, in this universe. There are more opportunities for people to bring value to others around them than ever before. And so I like to look at opportunities as doors and windows. That door in front of you might be bolted shut and you might be banging your head against it trying to open it. But what about that one over there? What if you go to that conference and you meet somebody that introduces you to another opportunity? What about that window that's popped open a little over there where somebody said, hey, have you considered looking into this and those opportunities are everywhere and I think that's one of the keys to me being able to transition from one portion of my career to another is paying attention to what's happening around me and being willing to take that risk to say oh that looks interesting I mean I know I'm doing this but can I play with that toy too Mm. Uh, so that that would be my advice fantastic I'm reminded of the Flintstones wasn't it the Flintstones where the guy kept trying to put the the dog out and then he'd bolt the door and then the dog would come through the window. You know, sometimes when you're, when you're blocking up that door, the reality is, is that things can come in through the window and look for, you know, ways of getting out. Well, Wilma! exactly. Now I'm going to get back to you and ask you the question about what's your goal for the next 12 months, but why don't we shift to Travis here and Travis, now it's time for you to share your worst investment ever. Well, I would say this, going back to not having trust and faith in fiat currency and paper money that they print out of thin air, you know, I, I missed out on a whole lot. You know, I think one primary one that I, that I always look back into is, you know, Apple was $11 and I bought a lot of it and then I sold it for Sirius XM radio, which then it tanked and I should have just kept that going. I should have just poured more and more money in it. That's kind of, you know, I look at the stock market and I, I've had intuitions like what I should do, but then I've not followed through on them. And I'm going, oh man, I should just pour money into Apple right now. They just launched this. That You know what? My son was born in October of 2001 and they had just released that iMac with the flat screen and the half moon bottom, the base. And I go, dude, look at this new stuff that's coming out. This is great. And then later on, they came out with the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad and the blah, blah, blah. You know, so, you know, I think that was probably a huge miss, a big swing and a whiff. But 
I think the, the one that's cost me the most was the fact that in uh, July of 2010, I read an article on Slashdot, and that's a big tech publication, and talked about this Bitcoin, this new Bitcoin 0.3 version that has just come out, and this digital currency thing, and you can mine it on your computer. So I said, oh, wow, that's awesome. Okay, let me check this out. And so I put it on my computer, and I don't know, I had it running for a while, and my computer was like, it's like, oh, man, this is, doesn't sound so good for my computer. But I ended up mining a block of Bitcoin. I got 50 Bitcoin. And, uh, and then I went to a website where they were giving away Bitcoin every day. And so I went one day and got five Bitcoin. So I had 55 Bitcoin. And then all of that stress on my computer from mining Bitcoin killed my computer. And then I, well, it almost killed it. And so I was able to, to log in and get all my important files off except my Bitcoin. So I ended up, you know, trashing the computer. So there's a computer somewhere in a dumpster, in a dump somewhere with 55 Bitcoin on it. And in January of 2018, that was worth $1.1 million. That is in a dumpster somewhere. So that, that was really painful. But you know what? The thing was wild about it is I didn't have any crypto buddies. I didn't, I didn't have anybody who I would talk to who got blockchain, who, who understood Bitcoin, who understood crypto. And I was just going, this is interesting. Anybody else think this is interesting? Nobody, nobody. This is not interesting. This seems interesting. We should be paying attention to this. Nobody. Okay. And so, you know, I think it was just a challenge to find a crypto buddy. And then I stepped back into crypto in 2013 and bought some and then sold some and then 2015 did it again. And then finally in 2017, as this things were starting to take off, Joel and I were having conversations. It was actually right before it was getting ready to take off. It's like we could see that it was starting to hum. It's starting to like, what is this? This is interesting. And I wrote an article on Huffington Post about, you know, the election stuff. Joel and I were having conversations around the election. And I was like, if we're concerned about the Russians hacking our election, then we should have more secure voting procedures and we should have voting on the blockchain with digital IDs of some sort, right? Let's find a solution. Let's not just point fingers and be divided and hate everybody, right? Let's find a real solution. And then blockchain, we started understanding it more and more. And then we got into to the crypto space. We started having a lot of great calls and, and people would come on our show. And we would earn crypto from coming. And then some of the, our investment, like there was one point where my investments were near a million dollars. And those investments today are worth like about 10 grand, right? Mm. Because it's like some of those things, like there was one coin dragon chain that I had that was like upwards of $5 and now it's worth three cents, right? It was just like, so some of those like crypto space is very volatile. You know, Bitcoin is probably the, the one that's going to be the best long-term to, to sort of hold. We always talk about stacking Satoshis and, and putting them in a wallet and, and making sure you own the private keys in a secure location so you can't get hacked because there's only 21 million of them. And so not everybody's going to be able to have a full one. People are going to have a portions of them. And so it was a big lesson to, to really keep your private keys to yourself. Make sure to store your crypto, not on your computer, store it on a hard wallet outside that doesn't have internet connection. Keep all that stuff secure and private. That way nobody can steal your stuff. And, and when the market's really high, don't feel, don't feel bad if you uh, take a little bit of profits off the top. Don't, don't just watch all your investments plummet down to near zero because that's sad. <laughs> He's yeah. right. 21 million minus 55. Minus 55. Plus, there's a whole bunch of other ones that have lost. There's, there's estimates of three you know, to four million Bitcoins are unaccessible. So it's mm. crazy. And what I take away from that is that you know, great investments 
they have to work all the way to the end. It's a little bit like, you know, playing basketball and you're really good at dribbling and you're back in the back of the court. But if you can't take it to the hoop to get the point, then all that work is for naught. Mm-hmm. So, and Probably I just that- taking it off some off the table and put it somewhere else, right? It would have been a, been a good thing. What was interesting was that, you know, the market went from like, you know, Bitcoin was like at about five grand. And then all of a sudden over just a couple of weeks, it shot up to 20 grand. And then just like that, it was down below 10 grand again. So I think, I think we saw on, I think the numbers are like January 7th or something, 2018, the market was like $840 billion. 30 days later, it was like 280 billion. So I like lost over $500 billion in market cap in 30 days, which was insane. So I want to now go to this question about, you know, what one action you'd recommend for our listeners to avoid suffering the same fate. And I think that, you know, you want to think about a young person that's that's playing around with crypto and, you know, you want to give them one piece of advice. You know, both of you guys are experts. You've seen a lot. What would that one piece of advice be, Travis, in this case? You know, the mantra within the space is to hodl, which is hold misspelled, right? Somebody typed that and it became a meme. Hodl your crypto. Well, I think just not necessarily hodl it. You want to, you want to hold it, but like when it goes up a little bit, don't be afraid to peel some off. That's smart and use your crypto. Don't just hold it as an investment. It's actually meant to be used as a currency. It is a, so use it, right? And I think, and I'm very strongly, I have a very strong opinion of this as, you know, someone who pays attention to emerging technologies within 10 years from now, the current paper currency model is going to go away. The economy that we have now, I foresee it gone. It's, there's something's going to happen. A big shift is going to happen. The paper money system is going to crumble. And we're already seeing China creating a gold-backed digital yuan currency, which is popping up. There's some other countries that are doing this as well. I think there'll be a Fed coin eventually, or the IMF is going to create some sort of token. We all have a smartphone now for the most part, right? And why do I need to go walk to a bank? Or why do I need to drive to a bank? Or why do I need to go to an ATM when I can literally go boop, boop, and send, send you money and you'll get it within five seconds? Like, it's just convenient. And I think convenience will win out. Convenience won out when it came to the internet. Convenience is winning out when it comes to the smartphone. Convenience is going to win out when it comes to, to currency and economy. And so I would say, you know what? If you, I would research and do your own research and do your own due diligence into it and start to understand what is blockchain and why blockchain works. Go on YouTube, do some searches on blockchain because that is the killer app. Bitcoin is just the incentive that gets people to, you know, approve the transactions that are happening on that particular blockchain. So once you understand blockchain, it goes click. Wow, this is clearly the future of money. And why not get involved sooner than later? Because there's people who are saying Bitcoin will get 100000 a million dollars a coin. And you don't have to have a full coin. Not everybody can have a full coin. So mm. you can have one one hundred millionth of a coin. That's called a Satoshi. So stack a few Satoshis when you can. At least get yourself a nice little amount of it. Because if it goes crazy, maybe you put 2% of your portfolio into Bitcoin. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. But historically, it always trends upwards. So it just depends on when you're paying attention to it on a day-to-day basis or a year-to-year basis. It pretty much has always gone up over time. I think one of the most powerful things that you've just said is the idea that convenience wins. And we can see that in the adoption of digital currency. I know 
I did my PhD in China at a university in the middle kind of of China and the University of Science and Technology. And when I first went there, it was about six or seven years ago, there was no digital currency. And by the time I finished my dissertation, there was no cash. The adoption was absolutely complete. And it was amazing to see that happen over only a few years. So, you know, there are places that are moving so fast on convenience, you know, in China, I tell you, people just do not carry cash anymore. Mm -hmm. Alipay and WeChat pay, that stuff. Correct. I mean, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And America hasn't got on board with that. I know Facebook was trying to do a little bit of that with their crypto that Libra that they were going to launch, but then the regulations and the government's going, no, let's stop this and figure this out and la, la, la. What we're noticing is a lot of innovation leaving America and going to some of these other countries like Thailand, like Chindu or whatever, mm -hmm. some of those, other those cities that are there. A lot of expatriates, a lot of entrepreneurs that are innovating, Working within cryptocurrency, there's a lot in Singapore, there's a lot in Switzerland and Zug, there's a lot in the Caribbean, Belize, Cayman Islands, right? A lot of these countries are welcoming Malta, right? Are welcoming blockchain innovation, whereas America is trying to put, trying to clamp it down. And a lot of these companies are leaving and going elsewhere and building their businesses and their empires in other places. Yep. All right, Joel, we're going to come back to you now and we're going to ask Travis this question next. So Travis, you got a little homework to do. Go do your homework, Travis. Yes. Ugh. Sun's going down here too. You can tell yeah, it's gotten I darker in, uh, in my room. Maybe it's time for a, uh, a background instead yeah. of the dark. Do uh, it, dark do there. it. Come on. All right. You have unicorns? Uh, I don't have any unicorns, but I do have John McAfee. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think probably best to just put some Bitcoin there behind me. There, there you go. There you go. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Honestly, I am in the spirit of living out my own fun formula. I don't have, I don't set long-term, medium-term, or really short-term goals. I really have learned to live my life as it comes. And, and the reason I do that is because I've really succeeded with that. It's gone well. And so if that's the system that's working, I remember here we are in December, of 2019 and it seems like just yesterday it was december 2018 and i was telling my friends boy we're just around the corner and i have no idea what 2019 is going to have in store for me and and you know when i think of heaven store I'm, I'm thinking where am i going to go right where am i going to get invited to and now i look back at this year and i've been to dubai and to italy and to france and to iceland and to Bali and places all over the US. And I didn't know any of that was happening. And so I just wanna stay open to, oh, what wonder is gonna come my way in 2020? And to look back at the end of the year and go, wow, what a cool freaking year. Who saw that coming? Nice. So that's my goal is to just you know live every day. So for everybody out there on the grind going, I have my KPIs to deliver. Yeah, no, I, that's, I, hey, fine, look, do you, if that's what you need to do, my thing would be just to say, is that really you, or are you doing what somebody told you you were supposed to do, what you should do? I tell folks, don't let anybody should on you, right? You, you need to do you, figure out what you really want, and, and analyze, you know, am I, am I trapped in a system not of my own design? Am I living my life in a way that 
parents or professors or peers or culture have dictated to me? You know, am I, am I living my life or am I somehow programmed to do what I've been told to do? And that type of self-reflection could be very liberating because I know a lot of people, and you do as well, that are living just like that. And I think to myself, I don't know how you do that. That to me sounds like misery because, you know, I know there's a lot of theories on living other lives or what the afterlife looks like, but I'm only conscious of this one. And I know for this one, I've only got one of them. And I don't want to, you know, be that guy that, you know, if that heart attack does happen and I go before I think I'm going to, there would be regret. You know, nobody goes to their deathbed or at least a very small minority of people would go to their deathbed and say, gee, I wish I worked longer hours and man, I wish I would have made a few dollars more. No, the regrets are about the relationships and the things left undone. I want to break free. I want to break so, free. Little queen reference there. There you go. All right, audience. That's a we, good we break, As you know, we break out into a lot of songs and reference song lyrics on, on our show. And we actually keep a Spotify playlist of them for our fans. That's cool. Well, you're, you're definitely funning me up. All right, Travis. Fun them up, Travis. Yeah, over the next 12 months, I'm going to build this SMX mobile platform. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but what I am actually working on, I'm working on a fun platform right now to help podcasters launch and manage their podcast more effectively because there's actually only 770,000 podcast shows, which sounds like a lot, but then you realize there's nearly 600 million YouTube channels. There's a big disconnect when it comes to launching a podcast and managing a podcast and scheduling guests and organizing show notes and you know, placing, you know, syndicating your content, all the places it needs to go and the, the social content you have to create and the multimedia you need to create for your podcast. So we're building a thing called pods, pods.io, podsio, pods, that is uh, going to basically help people manage and schedule and organize and launch their podcasts more effectively. So that's one thing that's going on in 2020. And it's kind of crazy to think that it's 2020. I mean, we're living in the future. So I'm going to get into my flying car. I'm going to have my Rosie the Robot. I'm going to get all that stuff here this year as well. <laughs> the Jetsons. That's true. Wait, wait a second. What, what year was the Jetsons set, Joe, Mr. Joe Conn? Like 20? 20- uh, I, w- I want to say, aren't we like halfway between when it was released and 50 years from now, oh, right? So 20. 70 I guess it would have been released in the 70s right because or, or late 60s mm-hmm. so all I know is it's about 50 years ago that it happened and fast forward 50 years and you'll be to Jetsons yeah so I'm gonna get in my flying car and a bunch of other stuff this year and yeah as Joel said Joel, Joel made some great great comments I mean that's kind of what happened because we're, we're doing this bad crypto thing together and we've gone on I don't even know so many adventures around the world already and it seems like we're just getting started the, you know the whole blockchain innovation emerging technology space and crypto digital asset space is just beginning and so we're positioned you know really well to to help a lot of companies and help a lot of people figure out what the future of money looks like well that's awesome i know as a podcaster myself that's you know the whole podcast area is something that you know 
a lot of people want to get into, but it is, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to it. So I'm sure mm-hmm. that will be successful. And I've just gone to uh, Wikipedia and I've seen the, for those people that don't know the Jetsons, it's an American animated sitcom. And it was originally aired in 1962 to 1963. Mm. And it was a comical version of a century in the future. So that would be mm. 2000. Meet George Jetson. His wife was not Elroy. That was his boy. Yeah. His <laughs> wife, Elroy. Really awkward family. <laughs> well, they were, they had some weird transitioning going on even because it was the future. It was true. So actually it, it, Elroy was his daughter. Daughter Judy. And then the dog's <laughs> name was what? Astro. Astro. Okay, Roge. <laughs> okay. Oh man. I got a lot of, I got a lot of work to do. Yeah, there's George. And you said Travis needed to do his homework. Come on, Angel. All you got is Wikipedia. George, Jane, Judy, Elroy, Astro, the dog. Okay. We got basically Sprockets. Who was was the maid? Rosie. Rosie. Oh, my God. Well, how would I have ever known to prepare for the Jetsons? You can't prepare for Mr. Joe Com and Mr. Travis Wright. We're yes, just I we're just an unstoppable duo. I mean, tell you this, Andrew. You this is Mike up. Tyson here. We're a really big fan of these guys because if you don't watch out, they might punch in your mouth. Yep. You brought up the Flintstones, actually, which was the genesis, the reason that there was a Jetsons, because Hanna-Barbera had a huge success with the Flintstones. You know, Flintstones was, was a – Back in time. Uh, a cartoon take on the honeymooners, Jackie Gleason and Art Carney, you know, the show from our parents' generation. And they had so much success with the Flintstones being this prehistoric family. They're like, oh, let's create another family that's futuristic. And yeah, they used to actually be on prime time. They were not like Saturday morning. It was like Wednesday at 7 p.m. they came on. So amazing. Cool. All right, listeners, there you have it. Two more stories of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like these, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestment.com. Myworstinvestmentever.com. God, you guys are really tripping me up here. It's way too much fun. Now, as we end, Joel and Travis, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words? for the audience. I love talking about my failures, actually. I find them to, because they're most instructional in my life. And if they're just for me, I'm the only one who learns from them, what a waste. You know, let's let's let everybody learn. And so uh, we're all human and flawed and fallible, except for Mr. Travis Wright. Yay, go failure! Woo! (laughs) Those are Travis's words of wisdom. Is that your parting words, Travis? (laughs) Uh, no, stay bad. Stay bad. Bad meaning good. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.